Okay, hello and welcome to Big Business Briefs. That's our new name. I know, it's going to take a bit of getting used to, isn't it? Yeah. We have big briefs and we're prepared to use them. Absolutely, absolutely. If you haven't listened to this, the chat splat about us trying to come up with our rebranding, then um, if you want to laugh, it's probably well, worth doing. I think you need to look at this rebranding in the context of that chat splat and then you'll give us awards for actually having decided on something. Yes. And not only did we decide on a name, we've got um, an image that we're using yeah. and we had photo. Well, we took our own photos, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Don't judge us on the inability to take all the green away from the green screen i think we well, did I've, it all ourselves and do you know what's particularly alarming is that we did it all sober <laughs> no, yeah well, although the material that went into that chat spot talking about rebranding came from a place of drunk drunkenness yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what's but wrong actually, with that yeah but actually all of the rebranding stuff was done sober yeah yeah, yeah. anyway here we are big business briefs. we have a different name same format. Yeah, pretty much so. Pretty We're much. starting off with a discussion of something that's topical. And this week, you've put into the ring um, ageism in the workplace. Yeah, there was an article on the uh, BBC on the at the beginning of August um, about ageism. And um, by, written by a lady called Kate Morgan. And she says, we think of ageism as an, as an issue affecting older workers, but ex experts say it's hitting young workers harder than ever. And I think that's true. You know, when we do say ageism, you think that, older you know, anybody people, over 55 is, you know, isn't going to get a job if they apply for it, isn't going to get a promotion because they've probably been promoted to, you know, the top of their capability. And yet, the the, the um, compulsory retirement age disappeared in two thousand and eleven, and a mm. lot of people are working beyond beyond you know the normal the normal retirement age. The, the old retirement. the old retirement <laughs> yeah. age, um, but yeah, but but they're talking about how youngsters it's, and they're calling it reverse ageism um, is real and it's worse than ever, and that starts to shine a light on the old people who of the mindset what do these youngsters know oh yeah you get that all the time yeah I've, I've been around the block a few times um and you know and so what can they possibly know that you know does their mum know they're out you know they're fresh <laughs> out of university what experience have they got and that's actually not fair because they yeah. might have a new way of looking at things yeah so with that response well that's where we've always done things well oh, maybe that shouldn't I be the way that. you do it yeah well it shouldn't be the way that you do it now but do you think there's a difference uh, between genders as well with ageism? Well, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I want to say no. Um, I think that. I think that starts to open up a whole can of worms where there may be some older males who think that older females should probably be reducing their hours now and winding down a little bit. Mm. And we'll get in some young, bright young thing. I've worked in organisations where, you know, oh, we need somebody who's... Energetic. Energetic and, you know... Bit so, of eye candy. Bit of eye candy, all of that sort <laughs> yeah. of stuff, yeah. So that feels uncomfortable. I suppose I, I'm using um, maybe the film and TV industry as a, as, as a guide here because typically... The older presenters are thought of as distinguished and statesmanlike, aren't they? If they're men. Yeah. And women, not so. And there's been uh, quite 
quite a history recently of older women just being shuffled off the presenting platforms or um, I think there's a there's a bit more spotlight shone on it now um, particularly in the film industry you know about well you look at for example James Bond James Bond's getting older <laughs> and older um, and well he's always been old actually really but it, the Bond girls are always in their 20-somethings. Yeah. And what I liked about um, da- Daniel Craig was I think he insisted on having an older, more age-appropriate Bond girl. Yeah, good good on him. Yeah. Good on him. I, I think where this, this article is going is it, it's actually talking much more... Uh, mo- not more. It's also talking about um, the sort of... Um, unconscious prejudice towards young people so they're talking about they did they um, comment on a survey that was done um, where they asked people younger and older people um, what uh, they asked people what they thought about younger people Hmm. Um, and young adults came off poorly the quote is people seem to like even older adults who people think are the primary targets of ageism more than they like younger adults And when they reflect on the young adults from the 40s, 60s, 80s, etc., people still harbour the coldest feeling towards today's younger adults. Mm. And that's because it's just, it's the classic, was never like this when I was young. If you look back at some of those people that will be saying that and actually look back at what they did get up to when they were younger, it's totally wrong, isn't it? History repeats itself every generation, doesn't it? Yeah. And so they will have been the generation where their parents and grandparents are going, oh, the youth of today. Yeah, no loyalty, sense of entitlement. There are all sorts of words that, that crop up in this research. Yeah. You look at my dad, um, what is he, 74 now. Um, and before he was 30, he'd had 52 jobs just because if he didn't like a job, He'd go and pack it in and get another one. Yeah, walk into another one tomorrow. Yeah. So and he was lucky in that the jobs are available. So he told me, you know, he'd left a job in the morning. It wasn't for him. He walked into another one that same day. Mm. So yeah. yeah, don't tell me that uh, it's it's any different now. Um, and and at least um, a generation ago, there was such a thing as a, a job for life. Those things still existed, but I'm not sure they really do anymore. No. So. You expect loyalty back one way, but do you return the loyalty? I also think there's a whole thing that, you know, so many people go to university now. So a lot of these older people um, who are judging young people might not have been to university themselves. So they aren't starting their work. They weren't starting their working career with with a degree. Yeah. And now there are these younger people upstarts yeah who oh they go to university and now they you know they reckon they deserve a job so i think it's i think it's it's a really tricky one but i'd never really until i read this article i'd never really considered ageism being reverse ageism towards mm-hmm. young people but you've got an article about about women, women yeah so this is from the bbc from september this is why i asked about gender so uh, the article is by tamazin ford and it's why do women appear to bear the brunt of ageism at work? Um, they start off talking about a lady who works in the beauty industry. And you can sort of see, obviously, the, the, that whole parallel with as you get older, you get less attractive. And that's yeah. what she's experienced in the beauty industry. But I, if you scroll right the way down to the bottom of the article, it talks about the professional 
uh, women as well and how they're really getting hit hard and, and what they're finding is that um, women who are aging and then can't find um, suitable professional positions are actually setting up a business on their own mm. as the alternative um, the only thing is that according to this article female entrepreneurs also struggle to get funding Mm. Um, only 1% of venture capital goes to companies with all female founders and uh, another 8% goes to companies with any female founders that's a massive gap isn't it that is and you know that brings to mind Dame Stephanie Shirley who we've talked about and she's on my radar this week because she's actually going to be in Shropshire on Thursday I think and are um, you going to stalk her no no I can't but um a fellow trustee of mine gonna send somebody else to stalk her yeah yeah um but it's that classic you know she set up her business adopted the name of Steve yeah um it was women working at kitchen tables um some of them well you know young women but you know what could women possibly know about IT back mm. in those days? So and the fact that they they've also got responsibilities and have to work from home. Yeah. You know that was would have been really sneered at yeah. at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. And we, we've talked about. It also says here that uh, the reason why females um, struggle to get investors is because the investors are mainly men, and seventy two percent of female entrepreneurs self fund through friends and family, credit cards, and crowdfunding. Wow. that's quite damning, isn't it? It is in rather. many ways. But yeah, I think I, I do tend to feel that um, there is an expectation as you as you get um, older as a woman that, that you're going to dress a certain way or act a certain way. I saw a dreadful post on Facebook the other day. It was shared in a group about what women over the age of twenty five should wear, and it was oh like, my goodness, lots of beige. Twenty five. Christ, what am I wearing at 50? Gosh. <laughs> Just an invisibility cloak. That's uh, well, I, yeah, I, stuff it. I mean, I, you know, I I wear bright colours at every available opportunity because I'm not prepared to disappear into the background. No. But And we both have um, artificially enhanced hair. Exactly. I always have that. Yeah. It's not going to change as no. I get older. No, definitely not. I suppose from a business point of view, I went to have a look at the Age UK website because the Age Discrimination in Employment Act was passed in 1967. So from then, it has been a protected characteristic. I imagine there's been a bit of age discrimination between 67 and now. Absolutely. I'm not so sure they paid so much attention to it. No, absolutely. But uh, but one thing I didn't know um, was that um, that this legal protection doesn't cover employees of smaller companies because businesses with fewer than 20 employees are exempt from the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. Does it say why? Um, they don't, no, they don't expand on it. I mean, I m- imagine that it's because smaller businesses might be family businesses because you can't discriminate against a trustee or a fellow director. You know, you, it's all, so I wonder whether... That, you know, that stopped, um, um, you might have a family-run business um, where the sons or daughters decide that it's time for mum or dad to retire. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know, I don't know. So uh, also on the Age UK website, it does give some examples of ageism, um, uh, losing a job because of your age, 
or or indeed you could expand that to not getting a job because of your age couldn't you um and that's older or younger um being refused interest-free credit new credit card car insurance or travel insurance because of your age receiving a lower quality of service in a shop or restaurant because of the organization's attitude and it says here to older people but surely that would apply to younger people as well um, being refused a referral from a doctor to a consultant because you are, in inverted commas, too old. And being refused membership to a club or trade association because of your age. One thing that they also talk about is something called positive action. Uh, so a lot of what they're saying is talking about when you're recruiting. So, you know, can you ask for somebody's date of birth? Um um, even ju- just in general can you ask if somebody has a disability you know, various things that you can't ask before a, a job offer yeah um but um but what you can do is if an employer finds that older people are underrepresented in their organization they can say in a job advert we welcome applications from older candidates they can't yeah. say we're we want yeah. older candidates, but we you can say that you welcome them. Uh, you can say that you welcome women if you identify that, or, or men if you identify that they are underrepresented in your business. So there are things that you can say, but you need to be really careful that um, it, it it's done in the right way. I'd say with, with any interview or, or job advert, you re- really need to be careful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Don't don't let an experienced interviewer loose on, on a, an interviewee no. because there's so many mistakes you can make. Well, and that's why I'm going to do some interviewing tomorrow. And, you know, we agree the questions. But, you know, the days when you just sort of ask some sort of general questions, everybody now has, to, we have to ask exactly the same questions of them so that if anybody were to you know, be affronted that they'd not been appointed, we could demonstrate that they had equal opportunity to demonstrate their knowledge and capability. Um, it's quite a skill, isn't it? It Well, it's it's just about being thorough, isn't it? And and really what you have to think about is could you defend your your decision if you were challenged? Yeah, that's and, what and it, that's, yeah. You know, the whole point of it is to keep records that map why and how you, you came to that conclusion. As, as to who you hired and who you didn't hire. Really, it's, it's covering your own back, really, to put that legwork in. Absolutely. And from an employer's perspective, um, you need to make sure that you have um, a grievance procedure for any, you know, any disputes, including discrimination, direct discrimination, indirect discrimination, including disability, gender and age. And if you haven't got that in place... If you've got somebody who feels that they are being discriminated, you need to know what the policy is, that the processes that they need to follow yeah. to bring that to your attention, and they need and it needs to be communicated to them. Yeah, they need to know how they can yeah, raise a grievance, yeah. don't they? You hope you don't need it, but it, it it needs to exist. So you can get a lot of those sorts of things available as free templates now as well. Yeah. So even if you haven't got a massive amount of money to spend on. Um, HR consultant, you know, you could, you could get something yeah. that, that is sufficient for your needs. Yeah, yeah. So, ageism in bus- big business briefs. Yeah, big knickers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no little knickers for us. No. 
No skimping. <laughs> so, talking of skimping, I might have skimped a little on, on my research for this next bit. Okay. Um, so, you, you sent a, a really interesting link to a TED Talk. Uh, I, I really connected with the title. I really liked the whole idea behind it. Listen to the TED Talk. And, and then when I came to make some notes earlier on today I couldn't remember a word of the TED talk so I'm like right okay is this, is this a fault with me is this a fault with the TED talk I think it was lacking in visuals the link you sent yeah well and the TED talk is lacking in visuals yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so there was nothing that made it stand out for me quite as much as the title so the title is should we cry at work it's quite a recent addition to the TED website which we picked up on and, um, yeah, from earlier this year, isn't it? Um, and, yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, should we cry in the workplace? Well, I think it depends on context. The answer there is quite complicated, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, um, I think it's that um, there's so many things that you, you want to bring into that conversation. Like, do they... Is a man crying viewed differently to a woman crying? Is it more acceptable for a woman to cry? What what judgment will they make? And yeah, oh my God, a man's crying, and yeah. what judgment will be made about him? So yeah, it, it opened so many um, questions for me, and I thought listening to the podcast would resolve them, and I, I fear fear I haven't resolved those. So tell me what your take on it was. Well, so. So it's it's like it's a TED podcast, and then she plays a TED talk. But I actually went to watch the oh, TED talk. Oh, that would have been better. So yeah, this is I've just checked now. It's from the TED Audio Collective, and I think just what happened there was without the usual because when you're doing the TED talk, mm. you've got the person to focus yes. on at least, haven't yeah. you? And you know, even if they're not, you're doing a lot of um, uh, presenting. Yeah, there, there aren't a lot of visuals. The person brings totally. it alive, don't they? So I think totally. yeah, maybe that's probably would have been a better idea for me. So what did you take from that? Um, so so the um, so the the person who's introducing is called, and I apologise if I'm if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, but Madupe Akinola, and she talks about how she cried in a meeting um, a few months ago, um, and 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 what that felt like. Now it totally resonated with me because. Um, she it reminded me of a time when in a meeting um, if somebody's giving you some feedback it's quite easy to become defensive it's, or if there's something that you don't agree with it can be really difficult to assert yourself and say that you don't agree mm. and sometimes that feeling can become overwhelming and it's a sort of frustration and a and embarrassment and all of those types of things, and then you might burst into tears. I've cried in loads of meetings in my, you know, younger younger life, um, just because I knew there were things I wanted to say, but I didn't know how to articulate it, or I didn't feel that it would be received properly or, um, or, or, or you know, fairly. So that's a very complicated emotion, then, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's a real mixture yes. of frustration yeah. and helplessness, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she says that um, she said. There was a situation, um, but she didn't say anything. And the tenseness in my body grew even tighter. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm angry and frustrated. These emotions matter. So that's when she started to think about, you know, 
what you do with these emotions. So the TED talk then by Susan David is called The Gift and Power of Emotional Courage. And she talks about how we, we, we tend to talk about emotions as good emotions and bad emotions, mm. when in actual fact, emotions are a response. It's, uh, one of the phrases I remember is the tyranny of positivity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And she talks. She talks about. Um, she says, uh, you know, we even say to people who are suffering with cancer, well, you just need to remain positive. Yeah, you need it's a like, bit more than that. Don't yeah. You? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's 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 a good talk. She um, she's an interest. She's she's interesting. Um, she tells some 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 stories, um, and. Um, yeah, and she talks about when she was um, in the eighth grade, uh, a teacher handed out blank notebooks and said to everybody, write what you're feeling, tell the truth, write like nobody's reading. Um, and she she still had this blank, well, it's not blank now, she's written in it, this notebook of 30 pages um, that she, she had written stuff in because it was very freeing, because you didn't need to think about the emotional response because you could put it on the page. So that sort of shaped her work in thinking about communication. And she's done a, a massive survey of 70,000 people. And she's looked at, you know, sadness, anger or grief, which are bad emotions. Um, and how we tend to try and push them to one side. Uh, and that's not... But they aren't, are they? They're not bad emotions. That is the tyranny of positivity, isn't it? If you don't acknowledge grief, it just festers, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and probably the same with sadness as, as well, isn't it? It's a, sometimes you need to face it so yeah, that you absolutely. can deal with it. Yeah. She, she uses an analogy of a chocolate cake where there's a chocolate cake in the fridge um, that you're not supposed to eat. <laughs> and the more you think about not being supposed to eat it, the more you want it. And so the more you suppress these feelings... Um, and, and she says that, um, that psychologists call it amplification because it it becomes all consuming and then it gets legs and it sort of becomes a bigger thing. Yeah, it's um, a life of its own. Yeah, and in it? the workplace, you can imagine that, can't you? You know, like John in accounts, you know, is you know speaks to you badly and you don't do anything about it, and so then there's resentment, and then you get to a point where John in accounts absolutely hates you. And then you behave differently towards John in accounts. Therefore, yeah. he finds that you're difficult to deal with, and it it's all snowballs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, it, and then one day it just goes. Bleh. Yeah. So I suppose the the initial title where should we cry at work? It is actually simplifying it for for yes. the headline, isn't yes. it? Yeah. It's more about how how do we deal with a range of emotions yeah. at work and and acknowledge that the, there's some. A legitimacy to having anything other than positive emotions as well. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, the point she's making throughout is emotions serve us well. You know, they, we don't decide to have emotions. We have feelings. Yeah. And she said absolutely brilliant thing. She said that she often, you know, talk. she's talking to people and they're saying, oh, I don't want to try because I don't want to feel disappointed or I just want this feeling to go away. And she says, she says, I understand. You have dead people's goals. <laughs> yes. I, now I do remember that from the talk. Yeah, you just needed to yeah. remind me. Dead Only people's dead goals. Only dead people never get unwanted or inconvenienced by their feelings. Yeah. 
that really brings it home, I doesn't know. it? It was it was amazing. Only dead people never get stressed, never get broken hearts, never experience the disappointment that comes with failure. Discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Wow. Okay. So it's quite profound. Very philosophical. Yeah. 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 So, um, and there was me just thinking it was about wiping your mascara away in the ladies' toilets yeah, after we, a particularly bad uh, meeting. Yeah, and and you know so many of us have done that, uh, but actually, if you know if you if, if you've ever done any, if you've ever done any personal development work, you get to a point where you can start to say, what is going on here? Mm. Am I sad or am I angry? Am I frustrated? Um, Am I embarrassed? You know, all and if it, things. If one of your um, colleagues are burst into tears as well, there's there's some validity there in examining where those tears yes. have come from and not just assuming that they're an emotional wreck. Absolutely. I, w- I, worked, for a, um, I, I worked for a company, I may have mentioned this before, and um, we were all quite emotional beings. And, and very often in the boardroom, um, there would be tears. And the guy that I worked for said, right, we've got to tears. Okay, we're on the verge of a breakthrough now <laughs> because we've actually got it out in the room, whatever the thing is. Wow. And and he's right. Yeah. Because it's, it's disarming. It's leaked out of and you. It's, yeah, and it's like, right, okay, so what's that about? Well, it's because, I, you know, I feel I can't say what I think or nobody's taken me seriously or I'm worried this project isn't going to succeed or I'm out of my yeah. depth or whatever. And then there's... Positive tears as well. Sometimes you can cry tears of joy. Don't forget I that. I never do. Do you not? My husband does. I, I, I absolutely don't understand people who cry with happiness. I've never cried with happiness in my whole life. I find it really weird. Yeah, so you, your, your you... eyes have never leaked because you've been happy. No. Oh. Do yours? Oh, my, my eyes leak all the time. Oh, you cry in films. I don't know about... <laughs> Paddington 2 made me cry. Any film that's got kids in it... <laughs> Or bears. <laughs> oh, and yeah. So I, my default position, not in the workplace. Now I've, I've actually, to my knowledge, never cried in public in the workplace. I might have cried in the ladies' toilet. Yeah. I might have cried on the way home or when I've got home. And you're right. A few of those will have been out and out frustration, yeah. maddening, frustrated. Don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Oh. Um, but um, in public, it, sort of out of work, yeah, uh, emotions can make me cry. Happy, sad, joy, you know, any, yeah. any range of emotions can trigger tears for me. So. Oh, I've obviously, obviously got a, a, what is it, a, bri- a brick for a heart? Was it a swinging brick or something? I can't remember. <laughs> anyway. Maybe you've got dry eyes. Maybe I've got dry eyes. Mm. Anyway, the TED Talk itself is brilliant. Um, the unfortunately, Madupe Akinola, I found your voice a little um, um, soporific. Yes. Yeah, it was. It wasn't giving me what I needed. Um, or, that said, she did mention um, um, something, and I've subsequently bought a book. Um, okay, good. So the work here is done then. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, yeah, we'll put a link to that uh that ted talk and of course all the things that we talk about in this week's podcast on our website bigbusinessbriefs.com.co.uk and also you can still get there through the business community if you like 
they all exist simultaneously at the moment. Yeah, but well, yeah. We're what? Uh, what's the word? We're oh gosh, there's a word that means we're everywhere. I don't know, but uh, just so for the listeners, Heather seems to be doing breaststroke <laughs> <laughs> in the air. I'm not sure what this breaststroke means. It means everywhere. We're not. Oh, it'll come to me when I'm not thinking about it. There's a very, it's a very good word. <laughs> you can no doubt get a message at midnight tonight saying this is the this word. This is the word. This is the word. Okay, so um, then you did suggest a very exciting um, profile, um, and actually, I, I've sort of changed it from the founder of this company to actually their main product. My focus has all been on Henry. Henry. The Hoover, or rather Henry the vacuum cleaner, but yes. Henry the Hoover alliterates yeah. better. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I was really interested to read about uh, the founder of, um, what's the company called? Pneumatic. Um, but really, I really enjoyed just going down some rabbit holes um, as we learned about Chris Duncan and, and how he developed this amazing vacuum cleaner. I have one. Do you oh, have do a Henry? You? I've used a Henry, uh, but I prefer an upright Hoover. I'm not very good with a cylinder oh. Hoover. So I've had all sorts of them. I've had a, Hoover, um, a Henry. Then I went to something else to think, oh, I'm going to upgrade. And I went back to the Henry. The so Hen- it's good. Henry's just, yeah, it feels right for me, well, Henry. that's, yeah. For, for all of the, you know, you can pull him and he falls over. Yeah. It's a bit difficult to get up and down the stairs. Yeah. It's a bit difficult to fit in the cupboard. Yeah, but it's Henry. And he's he's good. Well, the um they have they have a Henry at Downing Street. Yes. Did you see? I think that is that what prompted us to, to talk about Henry the Hoover and Chris it, Duncan. No, it, it was because my husband mentioned that um it, it, I don't know why he. I don't know why he was. It came. He came across it. Maybe it was to do with that. Yeah, there was this um, viral photograph of the when they um, when they um, released photos of the new Downing Street briefing room. Um, yeah, there was a Henry. Somebody had to put the Uber away. Yeah, well, fit in the cupboard probably. Yeah, probably just leaning against the wall at the side of of the room. And it's like, yeah, that, that's amazing product placement. Whoever left that there. Not that not that they need it, not that pneumatic need it, but but set up in nineteen sixty nine and he still owns the company. Yeah. Uh, and um and I mean they've sold millions of these things and, and it kind of happened by mistake. That's what it evolved, didn't it? So he wasn't setting out to do a retail um Hoover. It wasn't for the home. He was designing something that was uh, specifically Commercial, industrial, yeah. 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 Um, I should just say that Chris Duncan is still working full time, by the way, and he's eighty-two. Amazing. Yeah, he's still working full time at a stand-up desk that he made himself. Yeah, you. Well, you found an interview. Where was the interview that you? It found? was with the Guardian. Um, by Simon Osborne from July, so it's quite a recent right. one. Yeah, <laughs> it came across really nicely in there. Um. Yeah, and we learned a lot about him and how um, how he actually developed the Hoover. And, and it's, well, it's bizarre, isn't it? The way that, I mean, it's a real engineer's job. They used a cylinder and then he bought washing up bowl, a black washing up bowls to make the lid. 
<laughs> cobbled it all together yeah. and then refined it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And and that that's a, a real, I don't know, that that's a way of thinking that I, I just, I, I absolutely um, revere. I thought, that's, you know, that's so clever. Well, because the, the first Henry was produced in 1981. Um, uh, they're based in Somerset. So he set up the business in, did I say 67 or 60? Yeah, 69. Um, so there were 12 years there where they were focusing on the, the, the commercial element. Um, and now I mean, they make 4,500 cleaners a day. And, and they're all made in the UK. Yep. yep. And 40% of them are exported. Yeah. And they make all the parts for every single model they've ever made. You can still get them for the very first model that they made. But uh, that's attention to detail and, yeah. and customer service above and beyond, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I don't know what he decided that people would prefer a friendly-looking machine. Um, but there's a whole list of... Um, so there's, there's Henry and there's um, Edward and there's Charles and there's David and there's Wendy and there's, there's Hetty. Hetty. I had a Hetty yeah. once, but I preferred the original Henry. Uh, Basil, which was a oh. Halloween special edition in 2005. <laughs> oh, I've not heard of Basil. <laughs> John Lewis have got... Um, they had a limited edition... Uh, Tesco had a limited edition. B and Q had a limited edition. There's more to, you know. This is. I, mean, I think there's a lot of humour in this as a yeah, as a business. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, and also the, in the guy, he seems very grounded. So I'm uh, just reading in this article here. Um, he's the son of a policeman. Um, he lives ten minutes from their headquarters in Chard. He's got a Porsche. And he's got Henry on the number plate, but he hasn't got any other homes. He hasn't got a yacht, and he still works forty hours a week. <laughs> oh, and he's worth one hundred and three million pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I just share something? This one made me laugh. In fact, I might have snorted my drink when I read this. So, in 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 the article in the Guardian, um, they're, they're talking about his lack of airs and graces, and. Um, his response when the interviewer said, uh, are you going to write a memoir, um, was bollocks to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's not going to write a memoir. No, no, no. he's not going down that route. <laughs> yeah, so he, he was listed in 2014. So he's the company's sole owner um, and it was listed on Management Today's uh, Britain's Top 100 Entrepreneurs. He was listed at number 96. And it, so in 2014, he was worth 103 million. It's estimated now that he's worth 150 million, so 20 million in seven years. Incredible. Uh, I'd, I'd love, because it just sounds, um, you know, they're based in Chard in Somerset. Um, they manufacture all their own components and everything. I'd love to go there because I just imagine it to have a real. I mean, they're churning out four and a half thousand of these every day. Yeah. But a real small business feel. Yeah, like family, family feel. Yeah. feel. Apparently, they, um, the staff call him Mr. D. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but this this other line also caught me as well. This is it's what you call entrepreneurship. or I suppose he's not an entrepreneur now because he's, he's set up a business and he's running it. He's a successful businessman. I think we talked about the definition of entrepreneur before. But this is how he spotted the gap in the market. So apparently he was a natural salesman. He, he ran a company uh, that made oil-fired heaters and then he left to set up pneumatic because 
he'd spotted a gap in the market, as he would, for a sturdy, reliable cleaner to suck soot and muck out of coal and gas-fired boilers. Yeah. Quite niche. Yeah. Oh, there's a gap in the market there for a sturdy, reliable cleaner to suck the soot and muck out the coal. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's stick a smile. Well, it was, yeah, they wanted the smiley face on it for the early morning cleaners who were going to work. They thought they'd like a friendly face. Anthropomorphising their work tools. Yeah. 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 I I just, I think that works as well because... um, one of the things that I picked up from the research we were doing is how much Henry Hoover's are loved by kids. Yeah. Yes. Um, didn't somebody say that their child... Well, the, the guy, the, this guy that wrote the Guardian article, he's got a son um, who was fascinated and, and played with their Hoover. So Simon Osborne's son, actually, it became his best friend, particularly in lockdown when he couldn't <laughs> see anybody else. And, uh, and and I think it was the fact that this Hoover was down on his level, but it was, you know, with a big, smiley yeah. face. Yeah. But um, it, it spawned this... Um, a book of stories and you know you can get toy henry's as well and yeah i I, I like something like that it's fun but it's actually for from my experience anyway very practical yeah and flying somewhat in the face of um what we were talking about a few weeks ago with um older entrepreneurs um likely to be more successful if, if they set up a business he must only have been about 23 or 24 when he set up pneumatic um, yeah, and that, that certainly had some legs, didn't it? That business. Yeah, yeah. So not somebody that you would ordinarily come across in 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 the media, but um, but a really interesting story. And I just I just love the fact that he set up the business, he owns the business, and they're still making Hoover's with smiley faces on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think the fact that he's He's doing what he's always done, which is running his business in a way that he knows how to. And he's and they're developing new products and, you know, they're thinking about new ideas, but they're still sticking to the core product. Yeah, yeah. So, I think they've sold 14 million of them. Um, yeah, in 2021, sales were increasing by a million units per year. So, you're giving James Dyson a run for his money. Hmm. Yes, interesting comparisons, really. Um, you know, Dyson is obviously a British company. They don't make in the UK anymore. Whereas yeah. yeah. all the Henrys are just saying, and they're cheaper. Yeah, the price point is amazing. The, I mean, I've got an upright Dyson. I've got an upright Dyson. I'm one of the cordless ones. They're really expensive. These are like 170 quid, or yeah. And they've got a smiley face. What's more to want? Anyway, so yes, that was Chris Duncan, the founder and owner of Pneumatic, the um, the makers of the Henry Hoover, as uh, showcased by Downing Street in their briefing room. That's probably the best thing to come out of that briefing room. Yeah. <laughs> probably the cheapest thing. <laughs> so that's all we've got time for this week. Um, we... We don't we don't say news views and reviews anymore, do we? No, we we chop that one out. Um, so I, I don't know if you've noticed, listeners, but at the end of the show, we we play exactly the same outro 
um, as we've done for the last few months. And we can't do that now because we refer to news views and reviews and the business dot community. So we've got to try something new. So yeah, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for listening. Yes, yes, do come again. Uh, if you liked what you heard, then you can go and listen to our full back catalogue, which is available at our website, bigbusinessbriefs.com, or through your streaming services, a podcast provider, or direct to SoundCloud. I'm rambling now, aren't I? Well, it just goes to show there's loads of places that people can, <laughs> can listen to. And if you fancy it, the link is still there on all of these things to buy me a coffee or rather buy us a coffee but the website is buy me a coffee or we could put that money towards a book or a gin or hosting our website yeah (laughs) (laughs) all you have to do is click a button easy peasy thank you very much